Gethard sets up deep in the pocket. Goes down the field for Smith. Fifty-six yarder. It's got no. Does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh my God! Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Don't miss a thing from the world of college football. Stay right here for College Gridiron. On WFUV Alongside Brendan Shorey and Jack Warner, I'm Miles Grossman, and we are talking conference realignment. Welcome in to a long-awaited episode of College Gridiron. It's been quite a while. You know, Texas and Oklahoma, starting in 2024, they'll be in the SEC, USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington headed to the Big Ten. And of course, Colorado headed back to the Big 12 alongside Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. And actually, guys, that means the Pac-12 is no more in 2024. And I'm a little sad about that, personally, as a native West Coaster. Used to watching those Pac-12 after darks all the time. It's a part of the Saturday routine. You know, you need those late night games. But I'm a little sad about it. We'll have to move. And like I said off air, guys, Pac-12 is the only party to blame for really them becoming obsolete because they did not understand or recognize how important the media rights deal was. And now... We look where they are. But, you know, the first big topic I want to get into is the Big Ten, right? USC and UCLA headed east, two big franchises. And, yes, I said franchises because when you talk about college sports now, these are brand names and these are franchises and these are money-oriented franchises to say the very least. But in terms of the Big Ten, they add USC and UCLA. I'm not sure if it compares with the SEC in terms of football quality, but it sure does in terms of possible revenue, possible income, and of course, national attention alongside that. And you no, know, Brendan, I want to start with you. The Big Ten, it really has solidified their spot as one of the conferences that is here to stay for the long haul. What do you see the Big Ten looking like in the next five, 10 years? What are your major long-term effects? I mean, you can see there's a bunch of teams joining and there's none leaving. And so this conference is really building up um, team-wise. And I honestly would not be shocked see the Big Ten split into uh, maybe potentially a new conference or maybe have a third like subdivision within the conference. Um, and that way they can, they're able to hold all those teams What they're at like 18 ish now. Um, that's just a really big conference. So I would be, I'd actually be surprised if they wouldn't do something along those lines, like splitting and being able to keep all 18 of those schools. Yeah, absolutely. While I, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, my bad. My, the, the, the pain of doing this over Zoom, man. Um, <laughs> so true. Anyway, I know this was exactly what we were fearing. But look, for someone, especially like myself, who I don't really love the move away from tradition as, as college football has been for, for so many years and in, in its respective conferences, I am still incredibly intrigued to see what this will do to the Big Ten. And the reason I say that is because if you look at it, so yes, they added four of the best, some of the best schools on the West Coast in USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington. We've seen all of that. But then on top of that, you've already seen the Big Ten be a conference that just 
barely lacks what it needs to really stick in there with SEC. I mean, the only time that Big Ten has really been able to crack the seal was in the first year of the college football playoff when Ohio State kind of blew everyone's mind and knocked out Alabama in the semi and then beat Oregon in the title. So that's really been the last time. Yes, we've seen Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State reach the national semifinals, but it still always feels like there was never a true competitor to the SEC. And as much as I'm not loving the the change in, in transition, if there, the change in tradition, if there's one thing that you know humans naturally are a little scared of, it's change. But the one thing I will say is I'd be lying to you if I didn't think that this is going to make the Big Ten a lot more of a contender when it's put side by side with other conferences than it used to be. I hear that. I think there's no doubt the Big Ten has kind of always been the SEC's big brother. I mean, little brother, pardon me, when it comes to primetime conferences. I mean, the SEC has had those big names of Alabama, Georgia, those perennial national championship favorites for year in and year out. And, you know, I'm I'm a West Coast football guy and maybe I'm, you know, not respecting West Coast football enough. But I think, you know, if you were to toss these four Pac-12 schools, of course, that being Oregon, USC, UCLA, etc., into the SEC, I don't think they fare very well. I think they're honestly still a bit a step behind. When we've seen them clash, of course, everyone remembers that opening day, USC versus Alabama down in Dallas, where it was, I believe, 52 to 6. I mean, you know, to think that the Big Ten is using these four schools as, you know, to boost them to get them as a peer, I get that on a media standpoint. But to think, think about it from a football perspective, I'd be shocked if these really four West Coast teams are able to make an impact in the Big 12, sorry, in the Big 10, let alone the SEC. Right, but if you add more schools to the mix and your and you're more reputable schools, reputable teams that, you know, bring a whole new set of eyes, you know, each respective fan base, student body, and you already have, the Big 10 was already a great conference before these teams joined. But the one thing that, I think the Big Ten doesn't have, the Pac-12 had even less of, and the ACC didn't have, that the SEC has is the consistency. You can point in, in, in consistency in recruiting classes, I mean. There will always be absurd recruiting classes that flock to the SEC. There are schools in every conference that have had years where they competed with the SEC, but it's not every year. You know, you had years in the early 2010s where Oregon was a top five team always you've had years in the ACC you had Clemson winning at all Clemson has always been a, a pretty big contender but there, there are schools that have had their years to compete with the SEC but the problem is that no other conference has ever had the consistency with their recruiting classes so now when you add four pretty respectable teams to a conference that was already just a hair shy of where they could be um, in comparison to the SEC I, I think they're really – I don't know if there's even a ceiling for this for this like new conference, I should say. Yeah, I think and I'm you agree a great with you point there. there, Jack. I'm so sorry. We're doing this over time. <laughs> Apologies, Brendan. But it's so it's, true. Uh, yeah. To boot, it's the, the West Coast recruiting pitch that they can add to, to, to the Big Ten. And I think that you're going to see some really solid early classes out of USC and UCLA. But go ahead, Brendan. My apologies. Uh, I was just going to say, I'm – gonna err on the side to agree with jack on this i mean 
if you look at the four teams that the Big Ten added in Washington, USC, UCLA, and Oregon, it's four of the better teams from the Pac-12, four of the teams that were consistently at the top of the standings. And if you compare that to teams previously in the Big Ten, they're so there. Like you would, I would take those schools over like a Purdue football right now over like a, I don't know, an Indiana, an Illinois, like those type of schools. I think with the addition of these four, it'll make it more competitive and a little more top heavy than it had been previously. Absolutely. I do see what you're saying. And, and there's no doubt they will be more competitive. It's just, you know, maybe I'm too uh, self-conscious about West Coast football. I'm just I'm so used to watching those Southern California teams go east and get pounded. It's just part of my childhood, personally. But it, it's true. I, I do see what you're saying. But now I want to move into the bit a little bit of the grander conversation, because it seems now we have three major conferences in college football Four, if you include the ACC, we'll see what they do. There's still a couple moves yet to be made. But you know, all of these conferences will be very large, as you touched on, Brendan, and spread out. How, how does that change college football in your eyes, Brendan? I mean, it, it, in my eyes, the, the big thing is that the cat's out of the bag in that yesterday's NCA, let's focus on keeping college football, just amateur athletes is gone. This is a modern college football world that's focused on media rights deals. And, you know, it, it's a financial gain first world. Yeah, no, it's definitely focused more on the financials. Um, making these conferences this big, um, it really takes away from the football aspect of it. I mean, all these fans, we just want to see. We want to see these rivalries. Uh, we want to see these good games year in, year out against like these teams. I and mean, you build up the relationships like against those teams. You build the rivalries and all that. And with this, with the building of the conferences, you're not going to be able to see, say, your team play against the same team every year because there's so many teams uh, that you have to fit in the schedule year in and year out. And so I just think it's a it's a bit of a downturn um, for college football as a whole. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's important to remember with college football specifically is that, you know, it brings a lot of communities together. And, you know, if you look at certain respective parts of the country, what I think is really cool is you got to see how America was sort of divided up geographically almost by college sports. I mean, I used to live out in Detroit, Michigan before I lived on the East Coast. And, you know, the amount of the amount of there were even houses in my neighborhood that had signs in the front yard that would say a house divided. It was usually when a mother and a husband went to Michigan and Michigan State. So they'd have a sign with both logos on it. Um, but then. You know, it was interesting living out in the Midwest and being like, all right, you know, it's not weird to see someone in Michigan with a with an Il a University of Illinois shirt on or a Wisconsin shirt on. You know, it's it because it, it groups in that part of the country and it sort of brings them all together. I also remember, you know, taking road trips south with my family and, you know, you'd stop at like a like a Cracker Barrel or a convenience store and you would see, you know, down in the south and you would see merchandise for their respective schools. And, you know, you'd stop in North Carolina, but you'd have stuff for North and South Carolina. You would have all sorts. of. So it, it kind of brings different parts of the country together and it helps you recognize everything a little better. I'm not against, you know, you know, having some cool out of conference games and, and having cool crossover matchups that we don't usually get to see. It's nice to get a sick primetime game every year against two schools. You're like, wow, we don't get to see them play all the time. But I'm going to be honest with you, like, it's kind of weird that we've had the all of these conferences focus on one area of the country. And now this, you know, in the next upcoming years, 
you know, if there's a game that's Rutgers versus Washington in a Big Ten regular season game, one of the two teams is traveling 3,000 miles to play the other one. And that, to me, just seems odd, you know. There's diehard fans of schools who, you know, who like to follow their team around on the road. And and trust me, there were long road trips as the as the conferences stand right now. But now I just feel like there's this commercialized corporate – I mean, I get it, we're, we're talking money, so of course – but where it's it's become this commercialized thing that I don't think it used to be. And if it if it brings popularity to the game and, and brings us good football, great. But I just I'm not the largest fan of of chain making such drastic changes to things that worked so well for so long. I hear you, Jack. And I think at the moment it really seems that the power in college football seems to be transitioning from the hands of the NCAA into the hands of the major three conferences. And, you know, as we touched on off air, Jack, if these three conferences or four, if you include the ACC, which because of Clemson, they're, 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 they're in this conversation. But I think, you know, if, if you were to just look at those four and say, hey, if we don't like how the NCAA is operating, we can go on our own. We don't necessarily need this governing body any longer. And I think the NCAA has to look in the mirror and realize that and say, hey, we can't really impose restrictions on these schools if they don't want these restrictions. They are now in power because we need to please them. So and when it comes so true. Yes, Jack. Oh, sorry. And I was going to the other thing I was going to say is people often understate the power of college football as well and college football programs. Don't get me wrong. Like NFL will always be top dog. NFL is always the, the biggest, you know, professional sports corporation in the country. Like I understand that. But the one thing that is so special about college football is that it's honestly more encompassing than the NFL. You have thousands of universities across the United States, right. Of all sizes. We go to Fordham where we have a small football school. We still have kids that show up every weekend to watch our football team play. You have kids. It may take some, you know, it may take a true interest in the sport to go pursue an NFL team, but at a, I never understood how important college football was until I got to college myself and realized, you know, there may be different types of kids who may not be your particular sports fan, you know, maybe a nerdier kid or a kid that's more into arts or, you know, kids that don't like sports, but feel represented by their school because they're, you know, their institution's name is on the Jersey and they feel represented by it and they go and they watch. So a lot of times people understate the, the power of college football teams. We were joking about it before the show. You're completely right. If it were to happen that, say, these three conferences went and started their own league, you're telling me people wouldn't go follow them? The power is completely in their hands now. Absolutely. And, Jack, you know, you're talking about an FCS Fordham. And, you know, this is such an even in a different ballpark than that, but it's true. There's passion even here, and there's attention and rev revenue possibilities even here. And think about it on a national scale. I mean, it's just a different ballgame, real millions. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it changes college football, because in my mind, the disparity between these non-power teams and these power four teams is going to get huge over the next five, 10 years. I mean, you're going to have consistently dominant recruiting classes from these schools and the top guys are going to want to go nowhere else. I mean, I think that really over the next five, 10 years, you'll see fewer and fewer FCS and low level FBS college guys simply because 
all the talent will be so consolidated in those however many schools. I mean, it's going to be a different ball game, and it really does leave behind a lot of those mid-major programs. And, you know, it also kind of creates more mid-major programs if they're not able to latch on to a major conference. I think you could get really the, – the, the gap could go really wild really quick. The middle class, so to speak, of college football could disappear. I'm going to add on to you there, Miles. Um, like when you get recruited to go play in college, you're thinking you want to go pro usually. And what is a better opportunity than to compete against better players, stand out more in these top-heavy conferences where all these players are consolidated, as you were saying, than to go to a smaller school playing against weaker competition. These players are going to want to build their draft stock, build their capital at these bigger schools in these conferences. And so that is where we're going to see the shift um, and all the power going towards those four, or power four, I guess, uh, conferences. And that's a great point out of Brendan, too, because, you know, there's already a discrepancy between the higher profile programs and the lower profile programs, I guess you could say. You know, there are, you know, everyone goes to training camp. Every kid that gets drafted goes to training camp. But, like, for instance, yeah, there. if you go into the Lombardi Center at Fordham right now, you can go look at a wall of Fordham kids that have been drafted to the NFL. It's possible to get drafted from anywhere, even – uh, a, a lower division one, an FCS school, but you usually don't see them going and say rounds one, you know, you, you usually don't see a first rounder out of the Patriot league, unless it's just an absolute, just n- nut job of a talent. That I don't know probably, if they ever had one even to be right. That, by, been the, a yeah, that, by the way, if they were that much of a talent, they probably would end up transferring to FBS. So it, it's, mm-hmm. I can't, you know, who knows, but my point being is there's already a discrepancy in the order in which people are drafted where yes there are the guy there are guys that are talented to exceed to succeed sorry at the pro level but you know are drafted later or maybe have to take a few extra reps in training camp because you know scouts didn't get to see them you know overpower the the level of talent that they say say they see a guy from an Alabama or an LSU so now if you have even more players that feel that they need to flock to these schools um, in in these respective new you know conferences, I think that discrepancy is only going to get worse. Yeah, there's no doubt that a lot of parties in college football could suffer because of this. If you're on the outside looking in, you're not feeling too good about this consolidation of power at the top. And you know when it comes to college football suffering, that's certainly a conversation over the next five, ten years. But a lot of that has to do with regular season games for major schools and how they might look, right? Like you touched on earlier, Jack, it's it's that mid-season Rutgers-Washington. What, what does that look like? That's something in week six college football fans are not used to seeing, nor they will be used to seeing in three, four years. That's still going to be odd. Like, you know, I think in my eyes, rivalries are something that it, it are based on history, right? When you think about the Yankees, Red Sox, when you think Washington, Washington state, it's about those, the, the history behind the matchup. In my eyes, I don't think that we'll see any new rivalries, so to speak, really brew in my lifetime. And I think it'll take quite a while, but Brendan, I want to hear what you have to say about that. I think these new rivalries will be essential, but will they come? I think they will come, but it'll take time. There's one aspect that I really like of about this um, about this realignment is that a lot of these teams that are realigning 
are doing so with their rival. If you look at the SEC, Texas and OU are both going together. If you look at the Big Ten, you've got uh, USC and UCLA going together. Um, so I think we'll see really those rivalries kind of shine at first, and they'll continue to shine. But I do think we'll see more rivalries start to build, start to form. But I don't think they'll become real rivalries for, say, at least 10 to 15 years. Yeah, and, and rivalries is always an interesting conversation, too, because you can't force rivalries. What makes rivalries special is is, is something that happened to make them rivalries. You know, you mentioned Sox-Yankees. No curse of the Bambino. We don't know if there's ever a Red Sox-Yankees rivalry. You even look smaller. You look at, let's say, well, look at Army-Navy, the two branches of our military. The, the, the institutions have football teams. It becomes a rivalry. You can even look on a more you know, smaller scale and even little things like there's, there's hatred between the the Pistons and the Pacers because of malice at the palace. You know, there's all sorts of different reasons that spark what we deem rivalries. Now, a big one at the college level is obviously by state. So Michigan, Michigan state, Florida, Florida state, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, you know, there's, there's all different sorts of rivalries in that regard. Um, But those had a lot of time to bloom. And some of the best, you know, one of the coolest experiences I ever had as a sports fan was when I lived in Michigan, I got to go to Michigan, Ohio State. Um, I got to see it at the big house, and it was one of the coolest, you know, 120,000 people stuffed in 10-degree weather. It was unbelievable. And one of the things that you couldn't help but just, you know, feel so grateful for while you were there was the history that you were experiencing. These things don't happen overnight. So, you know, we – we grow up in a in a pretty unique generation where we get to, you know, once we became living, they were all, there was already history. We didn't have to wait for this history to occur. So now I think if there's going to be any new ones that new rivalries that are to form, it's going to have to be us, you know, walking a mile in our, our parents or grandparents shoes and and being, you know, witnessing the beginning of it. But, you know, probably being old by the time it's recognized. Yeah, I think you guys both make good points, Brendan, because, you know, those old rivalries are not going to go anywhere. It's true. Those those are going to be intact forever and ever. It's just the the, the midseason stuff that I think kind of kind of bothers me because there's going to be a lot of, you know, just big name and big name where where it's not the same kind of thing. I mean, call me old school, but I kind of would, I, you know, USC playing Arizona midseason instead of a, of a, of a big school was kind of just part of college football and and you know having these like 13 and 2 doesn't make the college football playoff because you have two losses is kind of been college football's mantra over the last five ten years do you see more two three lost teams possibly in the playoffs just because everyone's kind of consolidated at the top uh it's, it's hard to say um I mean, you look at how many teams there are going to be competing, especially with the the harder conferences now. I think there there might be some more teams uh, that will have, like, a few more losses making it. You'll see two, two lost, three lost teams making the college playoffs just because of strength of schedule now. Although on that, there's one thing I do want to see um, because of this realignment is when scheduling out-of-conference games, teams typically take, pick, like, the easiest teams they can. Like, you see Alabama's playing, like, middle Tennessee and teams like that, that they're going to crush. I feel like you can bring in rivalries, old rivalries with that, with this, 
and it makes the schedule harder as well, which would make it so you have two or three lost teams making it. But you could schedule, say, a Washington-Washington State out-of-conference game like preseason. You could schedule a Oklahoma-Oklahoma State uh, like out-of-conference game, and it gives the fans basically what they want. It gives them more exciting football uh, for a longer stretch of time. Yeah, Brendan, Brendan beat me to it. Um, first of all, as much as I love college football, and I mean I adore college football, um, I I don't think that the first two to three weeks of a college football season is ever really a watchable product. But yeah, you'll see in more of the mid-majors, you'll see some good games because they're more evenly balanced. But, I mean, you had even – you know, there's a – you know, the famous movie The Longest Yard – um, you know, the the remake with Adam Sandler, he makes a joke in the beginning of the game because his character was a was a former college football player or a former pro football player. And he jokes about how, yeah, when we played at the big college schools, uh, you know, we'd always book Appalachian State week one, get our confidence up, kick the bleep out of them. You know, that was that was the joke that he made. And so, you know, you see the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, there's really not a whole lot point of watching it. A lot of them are blowouts. So, um I do think if there's if this helps move away from some of that, if it's just week one or week two that it's like that, I'm okay with it. But you know, kind of lightening the load. I mean, there's always you know Alabama has always been an incredible football program, but there is kind of a running joke of them really never seeing real competition till like week five. So, um, I mean, if this were to combat that, I think that would be a very good thing. But here's here's another thing that I think is important to think about with this whole situation is, and this is me more in support of the moves that are being done right now is I was on an episode of one-on-one a couple months ago. And one of the things that I talked about with the college, it was right after, actually it was more than a couple months ago. It was right after the national championship when arguably the most embarrassing football game I've ever watched in my life. I've never really felt bad for a team before until I watched TCU in that game. And one of the things that I had mentioned was that we're now about 10 years into the college football playoff, and I'm already getting sick of it because we get the same thing every year. You get a for sure number one. You get a number four that sneaks in there and gets the doors blown off them in one of the semifinals. And then two and three is usually not that much of a debate either. Um, and the one thing that will always happen is there's always this argument about the five or the six seed that gets left out. And it's, oh, you included a Big 12 team instead. You know, you included a two loss Big 12 team instead of a three loss SEC team. But you didn't look at the schedule at all. Like, this is a load of garbage. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and so there's always people that can. And it's been happening every year. So. If you get so, and also when you watch this past year's national championship, I don't think TCU ever saw a team like Georgia. Like you could tell by how they played against them, how they matched up against them, it was apple oranges. They've never seen a team like Georgia that plays at the speed that Georgia plays. So if you start to see these schools that don't usually, you know, cross paths with one another, perhaps play a little better caliber competition on a more regular basis, like these bigger conferences are starting to possibly present to us. I do think that this could actually give us a much better product come January when it's time to to play for a national title. Absolutely, Jack. And I think you make a really good point when it comes to TCU, because that shocked the college football world. I mean, everyone knew a big loss was possible, but that was extreme. And I think that really humiliating. 
it was humiliating and it put a lot of the conversation about strength of schedule in its place because it goes to show sometimes the talent and the size is just a little bit overwhelming for teams not in that tier. So I think moving forward, you know, if we're going to have just the Big Ten and the SEC carry the bulk of the load, we might have those two conferences supply our playoff for the next 10 years to come. And that might never change. We might see two, three lost teams in those dominant conferences in the college football playoff, which I don't necessarily hate. I don't necessarily hate. I, I think it is a little bit, you know, the current system is a little bit frustrating. We're always going to argue if anyone loses by more than two touchdowns because there's that five, six, who's absolutely right there with the four. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of twos and a lot of three lost schools. But I would say the big shift is going to be you might never see a team in the college football playoff that did not come from one of these four conferences. And, yeah, I mean, you look at not just how the SEC was. You add in some of the better teams for other conferences. The same thing with the Big Ten. These were the teams that were the five and six seeds that you were like, hey, why aren't they in it? They had just one more loss, but they came from another conference. These are the teams that are now going to be in consideration because they're in these conferences. And if you look at the past, the SEC, SEC has won, I don't even know how many of like the past 10 years. They've won probably it's like the, it's seven the majority of them. For sure. Yeah. And just adding on, adding some, some more good teams, some more high-quality teams that would already compete, I would be surprised to see any other conferences in there other than the SEC and Big Ten. Right. And, and, and you know, a perfect example of that, I mean, this past year, for, for example, you know, you have USC who's making the move into the Big Ten. USC lost in their conference title, and that was pretty much the boot. That's what got them the boot from the Final Four. So, um, you know, I do think that there were already teams that were on the brink, like you were saying, um, who were who were who were those five and six seeds that are now joining um, other conferences. Again, I really think this comes down to the disbanding of the Pac-12. I think the Pac-12 has always been a disrupting conference. Every year, there's there are schools who have you know fantastic years. I mean, I would be lying to you if I didn't you know point out that Oregon was you know a premier program when we were little kids. Obviously, it's, for, you know, as of the last five, six years, it hasn't quite been that really, really hasn't been quite that since Marcus Mariota. But at the same time, you know, the Pac-12 has always produced good schools. But I think what's going to happen here is us seeing what will probably be the disbanding of the Pac-12, as well as some of their higher profile schools now jumping to other conferences, I think will finally reveal the very silent importance that that conference had all this time. I do hear that, Jack. I do. I do hear that. And I think, you know, before we wrap up, we only got a couple minutes left here, but it seems to me the one two punch is the Big Ten and the SEC. But it, I could be off base here. I think the Big 12 is still a step behind real quickly. I want to hear from both of you, Brendan. Am I out of line to say the Big 12 is still a large step behind those two? I don't know if I would say a large step. I mean, we just saw, regardless of how the national championship went, we did see TCU in the college football playoffs, and we saw them win a game. Given TCU probably won't be the team again for a few years because they lost all those players, 
you have these newcomers into the Big 12. Like you see UCF, has a, they have a pretty good recruiting class coming in. You see Oklahoma State, they had a pretty good year other than when their quarterback was hurt. And so I'd be surprised to see I, – I, would, I wouldn't say they're a huge step behind the Big Ten and SEC, but there's definitely a difference between the Big Ten and SEC and then the Big 12. I do hear you. I do hear you, Brennan. But that'll do it for this week in college. Gridiron, Texas and Oklahoma, off to the SEC, USC, UCLA, Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State and Utah to the Big 12. That'll do it. And from Jack Warner, Brendan Shorey, I'm Miles Grossman. See you next week.